0: The Bible Study Podcast, episode 296. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues a study of the book of Colossians. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. This is part two in a study on Colossians. We started last week and we did just the introduction and some of the prayers, some of the things that Paul was praying for for the people of Colossae or Paul and Timothy. And you may recall that he was praying that they would bear fruit. He was praying that they would joyfully give thanks to the Father. And then we had probably my favorite phrase in Colossians, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of his holy people in the Kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and Then, as we are talking about Jesus, Paul gets into this section here in Colossians one verses fifteen through twenty three that talks more about Jesus, and it's a portion that most Bibles will label, and the labels were put on later the supremacy of the Son of God, and it goes like this. let's just look at that part so far. This is one of a few places in the Bible that talk about Jesus within a context that is broader than the scope of his earthly ministry and broader than the scope even of his earthly ministry, and then going forward from that to present day or into the future, but going backwards instead like John did at the beginning of his gospel. John put it this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Paul says it very similarly. He says that basically that Jesus, the Son of God, was present at the time of creation and then goes on to say, as John did, John says that he was the Word. Well, the Word, you may remember, was how the world was created according to the Genesis story. In Genesis, it says God spoke and said, let there be light, light be, and it came into existence. In John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In here, it says, the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, so before creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth. And so it says that Jesus was not just a part of, but an instrument of the creation, was there at the time of creation, being the Son of God. And so John and Paul are agreeing on this point. And then he goes on to describe when he says that he was there before all things, he starts to describe all things, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers of authorities, all things were created through him and for him, things in heaven and on earth. So he's being very, very inclusive here. He's careful not to leave out anything, even things that are invisible. Even if I haven't seen it, he says, Everything was created through him and for him, and why is that important? We will get to in a little bit, but he's establishing that Christ came first, that Jesus came first. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's two different ways to look at this, at least two different ways: one is from a world view from a physiological thing. Is Christ somehow related to what physicists would call the strong forces that hold atoms together don't know is that what he means literally? I don't know, but it does mean for us on a relational basis that as we have faith in Christ that things hold together. I don't remember if you've ever seen the little book The Four Spiritual Laws, and this is a book that was popular when I was in high school and it came from Campus Crusade and the way that they explained our relationship with Christ is that when it is right that it brings the rest of our lives into rightness also, into balance. Whereas we mature, we put the right attention on the right things. And so certainly from that point of view, we can understand the in him, all things hold together. Although in this passage, I think he does mean something bigger. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is in the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So he's saying to the church, he's writing to the church here that he is the head of you also. He is over you in authority. And what else does the head do? The head also makes the decisions, right? The head is the part of your body that decides, is it time to get up or do I get to sleep in? Should I have pancakes for breakfast or cold cereal? It makes all the decisions big and little. What should I do for my career? What should I do for my vocation? That's the head he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, and that as Jesus was raised from the dead, that that is a path for us also, that death does not have to be an ending. And he says so that everything he might have supremacy. And that's where he was getting with this whole things, heaven and earth, visible and invisible thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, is that over all things is Christ, that Christ has been given the authority that he is. Over all things, over us, over our churches, over our countries, over our leaders, that the authority and kingship of Christ, the lordship of Christ, is the most important thing. And what that means, of course, is if there's a conflict, if you're at work and your boss tells you to do something, but the guy next to you tells you to do something else, unless the guy next to you is the CEO, you do what your boss says because he is over you in authority. Here's the one who writes a review. In a similar way, if Jesus is over everything, then what he says is more important than what my friend says, than what my boss says, than what my president says, than anyone else. "'For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.'" Paul goes into much more detail on that in Romans, which we studied earlier. He gives sort of a thumbnail view here in Colossians. But what he's saying is that you can discover about God everything you need to discover about God by looking at Jesus, that he is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And then also that Jesus' job is reconciliation, to bring people, to bring things back to God. And it's interesting that he says both on earth and things in heaven. And then he says he makes peace through his bloodshed on the cross. And that is an odd way to make peace. But when we say that, he is paying a price that needs to be paid. There was a fine that needed to be paid. There was a penalty of death for sin. Because remember, that's what Adam and Eve were told in the garden originally is, if you eat this, you will die. That the penalty for sin is death. And that Jesus pays that penalty, allowing us to come back into relationship with God. For he says... and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So what he says is Christ's role is reconciliation, and we were once enemies of God. We were once not just ignorant of God, not just was God alien to us. We were alienated. We were separated from God, and our minds were directing us to do things that were against the will of God. Remember, we said he's the head of the body of the church. He is the head of, over everything. We were operating based on our own heads, our own priorities. And you can pretty much imagine that's going to be me first kind of priorities. Christ through his death not only reconciled us, but allowed God to look at us and see us as without blemish and free from accusation to say, we are wiped that clean. You are now holy in his sight. And two definitions of holy. One is without sin, which is what we're using here. And then the other definition we use, for instance, when we talk about the holiest of holies and the holy things in the tabernacle and things like that, it is something that is set apart for God's use, as you and I are set apart for God's use, directed by Jesus, the head of the church, directed to do the things that he desires for us to do. But there is an if there, and I don't want to forget the if because we can argue theologically about whether the if should be there or not. But Paul, when he was writing this letter, put an if there. He says, you have been reconciled, you're now holy, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm. There's discussion both in Romans and also in Peter's letter that mentioned Paul, that some people have said that Paul, when he talks about grace, is saying you don't have to do anything. Jesus did all the work, and therefore, just go ahead and do whatever you want. Go ahead and sin. And Paul says, that's not what I'm saying. And Peter says, that's not what Paul's saying. And he says here, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, do not move from the hope held out for you in the gospel, that we are called to live in relationship with God, directed by the head of the body, the church, that is Jesus and that this gospel has been proclaimed everywhere, and Paul has become a servant. And now you and I are called to do what Paul has done and become a servant of God, a servant of the gospel. With that, we've made it through 23 verses. This is going to take us more than four weeks, I can see, but I'm hoping you'll enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to send an email to host at com. Or leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2X. If you want to, you can leave a review of the Bible Study Podcast on iTunes, and that helps people find the show. As always, thanks so much for listening. Do you want to better understand the Bible and give biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith?